Our scripture reading today comes from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him and on account of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Covenant with shouting and sound of the trumpets. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you at this moment in our worship of you ready to look into your holy word. I ask that you continue to give us wisdom and discernment through your Holy Spirit, allowing us to not only understand your word, but also to apply it to our lives. God, I ask that you tear down the walls that we have created through our own desires, our own traditions, so that we might be sanctified according to your word. And Father, I ask that you remove from me my desire, my will, because this is not about me. Fill my heart and my tongue with your desire, your will, so that your name is glorified and is praised here today. Amen. Today we're going to be in two scripture passages, John chapter 21 verses 3 through 6 and Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6. We'll begin in John chapter 21 verses 3 through 6. So please grab your, your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 21. But you might want to hold your finger in 2 Samuel chapter 6 as well. Last week we began a sermon series entitled Reckless Christianity. In last week's message we spoke to the reality of the church within our culture. How without the persecution that our our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world go through on a daily basis. Putting their lives on the line for Christ. We have lost the rawness, some of the rawness and the recklessness Christ has called us to live as his followers. So in this sermon series, my hope, my my prayer is that we become reckless Christians for Christ. Which means that we are called to throw everything away, every comfort this world can give us. You throw it out the window and fearlessly just step out in order to follow Jesus in whatever direction God desires. Today we begin to see, and I hope, apply to our lives individually and as a church what it means to be a reckless Christian by becoming bearers of the gospel. To start, let me to read John chapter 21, verses 3 through 6. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. 
they said to him, the other disciples said to him, we will also come with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. In 1969, Frank Sinatra released the album and song, My Way. In this song, Frank sings as if he's close to the end, and he's looking back over his life, and is pleased that he lived his life his way. Without even realizing it, I fear that this is the attitude of most Christians today. To, toward the end, uh, we look back over our lives and are, and, and are pleased that we have lived how we wanted to live. We even look back over our lives and quote Paul when he said to, the pupil, to his pupil Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith, all the while not really understanding what the good fight was, not truly staying on the course, not truly grasping the faith. We are so often the disciples aimlessly fishing in the night, doing it the way we want to fish, the way we have always fished before. While on the bank of the Sea of Galilee, Peter, along with many of the other disciples, wanted to go fishing. Remember that fishing was the, the occupation of some of the disciples, including Peter. And they decided to fall back into their, uh, the old occupation, going out into the boat with their nets and, their, and trying to fish. They fished throughout the night. And was, as was the custom of that time. And ended up with absolutely nothing. Jesus calls out to them, children, you don't have any fish, do you? And they all replied, no. You see, when we do things how we want to do them, we live our lives saying, I'm going to live life my way. The end will eventually come. But there will be no fish to show for. We may be able to look back and say we did everything the way we were supposed to but we won't have any fish to show for it. This reminds me of an episode in King David's life when he tried to do it his way. Way back before Israel ever had any kings, the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant from the Israelites. This is the mercy seat of God. This is the presence of God. And the Philistines had captured it. And while the ark, being the seed of God, signifying God's presence with his people, you can imagine that the Israelites held the ark in, high, in the highest esteem. While the Philistines held captive the ark, God brought upon them sickness and illnesses and other, many other uh, issues that swept across their camps. And after realizing that the the God of Israel was upset with them that they had captured the Ark of the Covenant, which was supposed to be for the Israelites, they decided to send the Ark back. And it ended up 
in the house of Abinadab, where it stayed in the care of Levite priests. Fast forward about 30, uh, 30 years to 2 Samuel chapter 6, we have King David wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant out of the house of Abinadad to Jerusalem. David knew that in order to truly have Jerusalem to be the center of the nation of Israel, to be its capital, if you will, the symbol of God's presence must be among his people. Had to be in Jerusalem as well. So 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 3, tells us that they placed the ark of, the, of God on a new cart. And Uzzah and Aho, the sons of Abinadad, were leading the new cart. David ordered the blacksmith and the carpenters and, uh, to build a brand new cart for the ark of the covenant. And they hoisted it up and placed it on this brand new cart being pulled by a mighty oxen and began their journey with two of Abinadad's sons, Uzzah, which his name means strength, and Ohio, a name meaning friendly, leading the way. David was so excited. You can read the passage for yourself in 2 Samuel 6. I bet it was better than Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, watching the Israelites celebrating the return of the Ark of the Covenant, God's mercy seat coming back with dancing and the playing of instruments like the lyre and the harp and tambourines and uh, cymbals and, and all the other ones, all in an act of worship, worshiping God with thankful hearts. The Ark of the Covenant was returning to its people once and for all, a grand celebration along the way. But on that way, something happened that disrupted the marvelous celebration. This is one of the most confusing passages in Scripture. The will of the new cart, this brand new cart, the will of it, that was bearing the ark of God, slipped. And Uzzah, remember, his name means strength. Uzzah reached out to make sure the ark wasn't going to fall, and he touched the ark. And that's when in verse 7, the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down for his irreverence. <laughs> Talk about a party pooper. Nothing's going to bring the celebration down more than that. That brought this mighty celebration to an immediate halt. David got angry with God, Scripture tells us. How could this happen? David was doing what he was supposed to do according to the Torah. David knew the law. He knew that the Ark of the Covenant, the, the presence, the, the image of the presence, symbol of the presence of God was to be with God's people. He was doing nothing wrong, so he thought. I mean, seriously, Uzzah was just trying to do what any one of us would have tried to do. What do you do when you see a baby almost about to fall? You reach down and you try to catch it, right? Because it's precious. He merely didn't want the ark of God, the symbol of God's presence with his people, to fall on the dirt. Yet God struck Uzzah down in a flash. 
But the thing about this passage, truly, is that it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Most of all, David, if he would have just paid closer attention to the Levitical law concerning the Ark of the Covenant. Rather, because of God's judgment against Uzzah for touching the untouchable, David was scared to take the ark any further, so he took the, the symbol of God's presence to the house of Obed-Edom, who was a Gittite. After leaving the ark with Obed-Edom, David heads back to Jerusalem, saddened and confused. How true this is of so many who call themselves followers of Christ. When things happen that confuse us or make us angry with God, we so often just leave God behind. Even further than that, don't so many of us leave God in the church on Sundays, but the rest of the week, we go off and we live our own lives. There are millions of excuses we make that allow ourselves to justify why we are okay with celebrating and worshiping God here on Sundays, but we live our own lives on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. We leave God behind, walking away from his love, his compassion, his truth, his holiness. After some time, word got back to David that the Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him uh, on account of the ark of God. Scripture doesn't say this, because, but I, I can, cannot imagine David just rushing into it, going to retrieve the ark with, with the failure of his last attempt. There had to be some kind of hesitation. But it's my, I also believe that someone, why? sat King David down and explained to him the significance of the Ark of the Covenant from the Levitical law that David just missed. Yes, the Ark was, with the, was to be with the people of God, for it symbolized God's presence with his people, but there was more to it than just that. You see, it's great that David placed the ark on a shiny new cart with ox pulling and had two people leading, one being strength and the other being friendly, but that's not how God intended his ark to be carried. Too often in our churches today, we come up with new cart ideas, place friendly people at the front door to be our greeters, and use those who are strong to do the work of the church that we, are, that we usher in the presence of God. We try to bring in the presence of God the way we want to. And it all looks good. But is, is it what we've been called to do? Is it what we've been called to do? Someone had to sit down, David, and explain to him the significance of the ark before it was brought to Jerusalem. The ark was about four feet in length, covered both inside and outside with pure gold. On top of the ark, there were some uh, a golden cherubim with their heads lowered down, looking at the mercy seat of God in, in, in respect of God. 
Inside this rectangular box, this golden box, were three entities, a golden jar that held manna from the wilderness, a symbol that, uh, uh, that God is their provider, the stone tablets with the written word of God and God's own handwriting and signature, the a symbol that God is our teacher and the budding rod of Aaron, a symbol that God is our protector. It's more than just the presence of God. It's what does that presence represent? What does it mean for us? That God is our provider. That God is our teacher. That God is our protector. And this isn't to be on the back of a new cart. The ark was not made to be pulled by oxen. That's how we think it should be carried. That's how we want to carry it. But that's not how God desires to carry uh, the ark to be carried. You see, on each of the four ends of the ark, there were golden rings, loops, so that the wooden poles could go through each side of the ark. Two, one, one on each side, so it's going all the way through. Why does the ark need poles, you might ask? These poles are not made for the oxen to pull, but are rather made for sanctified Levites to manually pick up the ark to carry. Understand this, God intended the ark to be lifted up and carried with sweat pouring from those who bear the ark. The reason God didn't want the ark to be put on a new cart and pulled by strong oxen is because God's not interested in our convenience. Bringing that home for us here today, God's not worried about making the burden of his gospel truth convenient for us to bear. Pick up your cross and carry it. Does that sound convenient? To be a reckless Christian, to be a bearer of the gospel means that you don't try to do it your way. But that you hold on to the pole. When life throws rocks under your feet trying to slip you up. You hold on to the pole when life feels like quicksand pulling you down. You don't let go. You hold on to the gospel. You hold on to the pole when life is so difficult that you are drenched in sweat. You hold on to the pole. And you bear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You be a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each and every step of your life. To add to it. It wasn't enough just to bear. It wasn't enough just to carry the cross. But scripture tells us the bearers, when the bearers of the ark took six steps. One, two, three, four. Five, six, they stopped. And at that moment, they killed an ox. They sacrificed an ox and a fat one. Then they would go another six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. They stopped. They sacrificed again. It's about God and not about our convenience. It's about doing it God's way, not our way. 
It's not about a new cart. It's about carrying the ark of the, with the poles. It's about carrying the cross. Do you think it's great symbolism in the New Testament of the ark? I mean, the, the cross being carried. Carry your own cross. It has wonderful symbolism, but it reaches all the way back to the, New, the Old Testament. When you bear the ark of the covenant, as you bear the cross, each step of your life, And when you do it God's way, when you defy Frank Sinatra doing it my way, when you do it God's way, when you bear the poles of God's gospel truth, no matter what, you will be able to look back and, and respond how David responded. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And David and all the house of Israel were bringing the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. See, when you do it God's way, there's true celebration. It's not superficial celebration based on what we want. It is celebration and worship based on what God wants. When you do it God's way, when you bear the pole of the God's gospel truth throughout your life, you will be able to look back and see the same results the disciples when they threw their nets on the side that Jesus told them to throw their nets. So they cast their nets. And then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. When we do it our way, there's no fish. When we do it God's way, there's too many fish to even bring in. Being a reckless Christian for Christ means that you deny your own desire, your own will, your own way, and bear the gospel truth according to God's call on your life. Let's pray. You are magnificent. You are holy. There is nothing more I can say. You are holy. You are pure and righteous. We are not. God, I pray that at this time you have sanctified us and you continue to sanctify us. We live a life of sanctification with your Holy Spirit leading us so that we might bear the poles of the gospel. That we may bear the poles of the witness of Jesus to the world. So that we might bear the weight of of your glory. Because God, it is about you. It's not about what we want. It's not about how we like this and how we don't like this. It is all about you. God, break us down. All of us, myself included, break us down. Humble us. So that we can come before you and say, it is not my will, but your will be done. It's in your precious son's name we pray. Through the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's stand and sing.
hour. And Father, I ask that as we go from this building, from these pews, as we leave the doors, as we go out into the world, that we go bearing your gospel, being witnesses of your gospel. As we go, as you have called us, give us the strength and the boldness to make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach all that you have commanded. It's in your precious Son's name, Jesus, we pray, through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Good morning. Another excellent.